welcome to another episode of the Open Doors Live podcast with your hosts, Mike Gore, Jocelyn Gotto, and James Kazina. This podcast is an all-in-one devotional, essential for anyone trying to figure out how to follow Jesus in today's world. Each month, we'll release four different episodes, including stories from the field, preaching, and conversations with special guests. For more information, head over to opendoors.org.au or opendoors.org.nz. Here's today's episode. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Open Doors Live podcast. My name is Joss Gotto. I'm here in the studio as always with Mike Gore and we are answering the question of how do we best follow Jesus in today's world? That is our hope for these podcasts is that we can figure out this journey together of how do we best follow Jesus no matter the cost. I want to say a huge thank you to every one of our listeners who have given over this time, who have committed to praying for the ministry and the persecuted church and more than that, for kind of joining with us as we explore what it means to be mentored by the persecuted church. I mean, Joss, you and myself, we're not here ever preaching from a point that, hey, we got this. Yeah. We're actually trying to share the lessons we're learning along the way oh, 100%. In, in how best to follow Jesus. I was asked in an interview just today, actually, like what makes you keep going at Open Doors? And mm-hmm. they sort of said, hey, we want to know the mic core behind the one that everyone sees publicly. <laughs> and I said, if, if you're honest, if you really want the first word that came to my mind, it's fear. Mm-hmm. And they said, well, what do you mean by that? And I said, well, it's fear that actually I, I don't know that I'm following Jesus correctly. And the persecuted church helped me to sharpen or fine tune my faith. And so that's what I love about the Open Doors Live podcast and the kind of family of listeners that we've got. We're all in this together. Yeah. And throughout 2020 and all of the uncertainty and the craziness that has been in this year so far, yeah. to be able to do this with a like-minded community has made all the difference. Yeah. And one of the coolest things that has kind of come out of COVID, especially for our team, like we would usually travel to the field and meet with believers and that's how we, you know, meet people and gain all these beautiful stories that encourage us and challenge us. But one of the new things we've been able to adopt over these past few months is to be able to do like video calls and Zoom calls with Mm. our field team and people from the persecuted church. And it has just been something that has been so encouraging throughout a season of uncertainty, anxiety, to be hearing from people whose situation, they live in in uncertainty every Mm. single day of their lives. They've never really had the option not to, but to really be hearing from the front lines of the persecuted church throughout this time has been something that's really encouraging. Yeah, it's beautifully intimate for our team. I mean, these are people that the world will actually never know by name. They're not heroes of the faith in the sense of that Western kind of fame-based Christianity. I mean, well, I remember one of the guys we spoke to is conservatively got a church reach of probably 1.25 million people. Yeah. Maybe, I don't know, a church leader of probably the largest church on the planet. The world will never know him. No. Right? The world will never know anything about him. But what I do love is when we said to him, hey, well, what does your day look like? And he says, oh, well, for 20 years, I've simply asked the Lord to touch me on the wrist of the morning to wake me up. And yeah. I remember saying, well, what time is that? Oh, it could be 3 or 3.30 in the morning. Wait, what? He says, oh yeah, the Lord will just wake me gently by touching me on the wrist and that's where my day begins. And I said to him, well, what does the first hour of your day look like? And he says, well, for the first three hours I spend praying and then at six o'clock I'll make a cup of tea for my wife and then we'll start reading the Bible. Mm. And I thought to myself, man, these are, these are people that the world will just never, ever know. They will never have a famous platform. Yeah. But Not an influencer. Just beautifully <laughs> Jesus-focused, loving people. And, and that's been one of the great, as you said, great blessings of coronavirus has been the ability we've had to 
introduce our whole team, people who may never usually get to go to those countries, to the people that we work with. Yeah, Mike, you're right. And it has been such a privilege to meet with these people and more regularly than we would have been able to otherwise. But one of the favourite questions that we ask that our whole team loves is what do you love most about Jesus? Mm. It is such a simple question, but so powerful. And to be honest, I'm not sure that uh, I stop and ponder it that often. Um, But I remember being in Central Asia a few years ago on this simple kind of car ride through the countryside, asking a believer his testimony, his story of how he came to faith. And he used to be a drug addict and a alcoholic and a thief. And in that part of the world, it is really difficult to live. Basically, it's uh, very poor. Um, There's a remnant of communism and the USSR mixed with Islam, and it makes life very difficult. And he said when he became a Christian, Um, his whole life changed. And and what he loves most about Jesus is that in that moment, it was like the sky became blue. Mm. And he went on to say that before he knew God, uh, his life was like in muted, dull tones. And then once he came to know Jesus, it was like life came into into full colour. And I thought that's such a simple way of articulating what it is that Jesus does, how he transforms our lives, how he transforms our hearts. And such a beautiful expression of what he loves the most about Jesus. And we were able to ask this question to a couple of our field workers across Asia. And one of them said that his favorite or the thing that he loves the most about Jesus is his love. And he started to tear up as he said, it's amazing how he filled our lives with this love. And today, in most of the situations we're in, we have nothing, only his love. And that's all that we can hold on to. And through tears, you could just tell that that love was everything to him. It was what gave him breath. It is what gave him purpose to get out of bed every day Um, and to live his life and to love other people was this overflow of love from Jesus. And another persecuted believer from Southeast Asia said, what I love most about Jesus is that before I converted to Christianity, I was very shy, but now I have many friends and ideas and I feel like I can share my opinions. And so the sky became blue, the love of Jesus was overflowing, uh, and this man who was once voiceless had a voice. And I just think that such a simple question can be so powerful. And it makes me wonder, Mike, like I said earlier, if, if I was asked that question, if you were asked that question, what would you say? Like, what is it that you love the most about Jesus? Yeah, look, I think that um, one of the things I love is that the eloquence that English as a second language brings. Yeah. You know, the persecuted church, they so often can put things in such provocative fashions, but it's because they don't have the, I guess, the language breadth to pad it out with yeah. all these other words that yeah, we so often no, like, do. Fluff. No. Mm-mm. And so faith, it's not complex. They don't kind of make it overly beautiful and poetic. They simply say, the sky became blue. Yeah. You know, my life was dull and muted. It was in a fog. And then when I found Jesus, it became blue. Mm. And it's that eloquence that seems so strange when you marry it with English as a second language. But that's that's the beauty of the persecuted church. It's the simplicity of the gospel, the way they look at with these untainted eyes of saying, hey, I need to make this sound good Mm. because that's ultimately what we wrestle with in culture Mm. is, but what if my answer is too simple? Yeah. Because I need to make sure I I sound better than that person. Or what if it's too direct? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what do I love most about Jesus? I'm sitting here going, and, and raw, honestly, vulnerably, openly, is that compared to the answers you just heard, I don't even have one. Yeah. I, I can throw the word love out there. I could throw the word um, 
grace. I think that would be another one that people use often. Mm -hmm. But I don't necessarily sit here, close my eyes and go, rest in the delight that is Jesus, right? Yeah. With this powerful image, powerful word of intimacy and just beauty that the persecuted church have. It's probably one of the reasons why I feel that sense of fear because you asked me that question and – my mind's just there with crickets going off, going, I don't, I don't have that answer. Yeah. I don't, I don't, it's coming to me now. What, what, what do I say? Mm. Right? Whereas these people, they truly have this codependency on Christ. So to, to answer your question in, in a very long-winded and roundabout way, but hopefully in a raw and authentic way for our listeners, is that when you ask me, Mike, what do you love most about Jesus? I would probably say something like his grace. Mm. And that is true, but, but I don't sit here going it straight off. It doesn't move you to tears in no, that moment. Yeah. no. It's funny, I actually, uh, I read this script a couple of days ago and so I pondered this question for a few days because I knew I didn't have an answer. And the same as you in that sense of, um, you know, the the persecuted church has come out with this simple but uh, so powerful statement and I sit here with absolutely nothing to say. I've been a Christian my whole life, you know, Mm. always like dabbled in the Christian world as well. Like we work with Christian people. I'm always at church. Like we are... Christians and our whole lifestyle is revolved around Christianity. But when when it comes to the point of answering the question of what do I love the most about Jesus, I'm absolutely Mm. left wanting. I've long since thought, Josh, that one of the probably biggest challenges Western Christians face, in fact, I'll I'll go as far as saying it is probably harder to follow Jesus in the West than it is the East. Mm. Why? Because if I look back and something that you were just talking about then is that if you look back over your life, right, there, there hasn't necessarily been really high highs and really low lows. No. Right? There hasn't been a conversion from criminal past and drug addiction to this. Yeah. There hasn't been a moment where the sky hasn't been blue, yeah. right? Because the reality is if we look back from the me born in the early 80s and, and you in the 90s, like if you look back over that time, there's been relative economic stability yeah. or even in the recessions, we weren't at ages where employment mattered, yeah. right? And so what that does is it makes it so much more difficult to see where the hand of God has been in your life. Mm. Whereas for the persecuted church, man, it's valleys and mountains and everything in between because their life is, is not easy. Faith is something you fight for, yeah. right? And, and I feel like it's the relative safety of both the economic climate but also the physical safety of the society and culture that we've grown up with that kind of softens our ability to see the hand of God and therefore, in my view, be truly thankful or, or understand why it is we most love Jesus. Well, have we ever been put in the situation where we have no other choice other than to trust? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe <laughs> in a health sense, maybe yeah. in a sickness sense or something like that. But then when, when I think through those moments in my life, you often straight away go to Jesus being a mix of Superman and Santa Claus where you say, hey, you know, I've got this health diagnosis or this financial challenge I'm facing mm. and I need you to get me out of it, mm. right? But again, looking to the persecuted church, they're not looking to Jesus to get them out of it. No. Right? Because they go, that's not the promises of the Bible. Yeah. What they say is, I'm looking for Jesus to be consistent and strong and present throughout it. Yes. That's why I love Psalm 23, because what we often fail to realize is that Jesus, when he says he's walking with you through the valley of the shadow of death, it doesn't say he's in front of you, no. which is a position of leadership and strength. It doesn't say he's behind you which is almost a position of motivation and pushing, where to say he's in the most intimate position. Jesus is beside you. And I think that's a beautiful picture of the persecuted church is that in the challenges they faith, Jesus, he's not in front, he's not behind. 
is beside them. Mm. Whereas I think in Western cultures, we either think he's out there leading the way saying, man, I'm going to get you this job or get you this breakthrough you need, not I'm going to walk with you through it every step of the way, knowing that whatever comes around that next corner, we're going to tackle it together. Yeah, I love that. And I feel like that's where you get to the point where when you're asked the question, what do you love the most about Jesus, that you're brought to tears by his love Mm. because he's never once forsaken you. He's never once left that position of being beside you, walking along every single step of the way with you. That's how you get to that point of being brought to tears by the love of Jesus. I think that's going to be my answer. Is that he, <laughs> he's beside me. Yeah. I really do feel a, 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 a sense of an, at least an emotion, mm, right, totally. when I talk about it, is the fact that, no, no, no Jesus, he's beside me. Mm. And, and that's a beautifully intimate, vulnerable and caring position. That is such a beautiful realisation and even like honestly totally raw in this podcast of coming to that conclusion. And I would encourage you to uh, to ask this question to yourself Um I uh, was I was saying before was that I um, pondered this question over the last few days and really didn't have an answer and just to even have that question in the back of my mind made me seek out the answer in myself and seek out what where I feel like God has been um, teaching me and growing me even lately because it doesn't have to be the same thing that you love about Jesus your whole life will love the most about Jesus um, but for me at the moment what I landed on was his forgiveness of my forgetfulness. Mm. And that is what I love the most about Jesus because it has been a really crazy kind of season for, for so many of us, so much uncertainty and, and um, life really just turned on its head in so many different ways, family, work, finances, all of that. And in the middle of it, I've forgotten who God is. I've mm. not given him the place that he's deserved in my life. I've not given him the authority or the power or even the trust that it takes to surrender all of those unknowns to him and just hand them over and say, God, I don't know the answer in all of this, but I know that you're with me. Mm. You're, I know that you're beside mm. me. And I think, yeah, the realization I came to over the weekend is, I guess it's another word for grace and it's another, like just a different way of saying his mercy for you, mm. but his forgiveness of my forgetfulness is what I love about Jesus the most at the moment. It's beautiful. I think even in 2020, as I look back, it's been a year where people have just so desperately sought for meaning, yeah, purpose, meaning, clarification, all of those kind of things. And funnily enough, I read a book called A Man's Search for Meaning, a book by Viktor yeah. Frankl, and I'm sure many of our listeners will have known about it. But in that book, he says, which I mean, it's just full of profound statements, an incredible read. If you're looking for a book to read this year, I highly encourage any of our listeners, A Man's Search for Meaning, by Viktor Frankl. And so he says, then I grasp the meaning of the greatest secret that human poetry and human thought and belief have to impart. The salvation of man is through love and in love. He goes on to say, in a position of utter desolation, when man cannot express himself in positive action, when his only achievement may consist in enduring his sufferings in the right way, an honourable way, in such a position, man can through loving contemplation of the image he carries of his beloved, achieve fulfilment. For the first time in my life, he says, I was able to understand the meaning of the words, the angels are lost in perpetual contemplation of an infinite glory. It is so amazing. This, um, so this man, Viktor Frankl, was a, um, as you mentioned, he was a prisoner of war in uh, the Second World War. 
And all I could think as I read through this book, it's his kind of like psychological review Mm. of what life was like in a concentration camp. He was in there for years. And there are so many different parallels in what he's saying now to the sufferings that the persecuted church endure on a daily basis. And yes, of course, very different situations. But I think that that search for meaning and that search for purpose, they resonate in all of us, even here in the West, when Mm. we don't have a physical or... um, real, I don't know, I guess, governments or even financial pressures on us. We all are searching for meaning. Um, And one of the things I really loved about that, especially that quote you just read out, was how I was talking about that, um, the ability to endure sufferings in the right way, in the Mm -hmm. honourable way. And I feel like that comes back to that field worker in Asia who's talking about how the love for Jesus is what spurs him on through sufferings, through all of the things that they have to go through, the different situations and circumstances where they are tested and tried and pushed. And, you know, from every different angle, it reminds me of 2 Corinthians 4, where it mm. talks about being crushed, but not yeah. beaten down. That whole passage where there's like these parallels, um, it's, it's this love, this in- incredible kind of eternal love for God that pushes you forward and and gives you the strength to be able to endure that kind of situation. It really is an incredible. I mean, we talk about meaning and, well, with Viktor Frenkel, when he walked into the labor camp, I remember mm. reading in the book, he said he had all of his life's work when it comes to like the psychology of notes and all yeah. this incredible research and said, can I take this with me? And what they did, they the first thing was to strip meaning from someone's life. They mm. took it, threw it in a bin and said, no, you have nothing in here. But in the face of that, he was still able to find hope over fear. Yeah. Because he said the one thing that separated those who lived from those who died was hope. Mm. He said it was so amazing when people would talk about the idea that, hey, we'll be out by Christmas. Well, he says, you know what? On Christmas Eve, people would start to get sick. When they yeah. realized it wasn't going to happen and we weren't going to be out by Christmas and then within 24 hours, you know, several of them had died. Mm. He said because the moment you lose hope, you lost everything. Mm. And I think that's one of the really powerful themes from that book but more than that it's a gospel theme mm. you know, so why, why do we love well in 1 John 4 and 19 it says we love because he first loved us or why is the love of God so important it's the hope of our salvation again John three sixteen. for God so loved the world he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life I'm reminded of this scripture from Ephesians 3, and it really is our prayer for you. Um, and we hope this conversation has been something that's helpful in helping you to articulate what it is that you love the most about Jesus and understanding why that love is something that is so important. And so in uh, Ephesians 3 from verse 16, it says, I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will go down in God's love and they will keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide and long and deep and high His love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to fully understand. And then you'll be made complete in all the fullness of life and power that comes only from God. I really hope this episode has been something that has helped you follow Jesus in your daily life as we walk together through the inevitable sufferings of life, but also the good things that we walk through as well. We hope that you and pray that you have this deep and authentic and courageous faith in Jesus and this powerful understanding of all that the Lord has done for you. So thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Open Doors Live podcast. Remember to rate, review and subscribe, share it with your friends, share it on social media and we'll catch you next week. God bless. 
Thanks for listening to the Open Doors Live podcast with your hosts, Mike Gore, Jocelyn Gotto, and James Kazina. We hope the life-changing stories and lessons from the persecuted church help you follow Jesus, no matter the cost. To find out more, head over to opendoors.org.au or opendoors.org.nz. I'm your producer, Bethany Ross, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of the Open Doors Live podcast.